Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm sitting down having a chat with a, uh, well, quite a high profile uh, person around the marketing industry, but also in business and technology, and that's Andy Lark, uh, Chief Marketer and Chair at Group Lark, but also uh, high profile CMO and commentator for the industry. Welcome, yeah. Andy. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, look, I think it's, you know, your experience and also certainly your profile with the pieces of business that you've worked on, makes you the ideal person to have a chat about the uh, the role of the CMO today and, and really what's going right and what's going wrong. Wow. I mean, you, you look at the surveys, right? So you look at whether it's the Spencer Stewart survey, the Hydrogen Struggle surveys, everyone's got a survey. They paint a pretty dire picture. I mean, there's no question CMO tenure is shortening, particularly in the mid-market and is under real threat. I, I don't, there's not many CMOs I talk to, and I talk to a lot of CMOs who are genuinely happy in their role, feel safe and secure and feel like they've got a great future ahead of them in the business they're in. Mm. Most of them feel under threat, challenged, excluded. And um, so it's a tough, it's a tough uh it's a tough thing being a CMO, and I'm not sure there are that many people who want that job anymore. Mm. Um, on top of that, you've got this layering of new roles, and um, wherever you have layer, layering of new roles is quickly followed by organizational rationalization because the CEO ends up with too many direct reports. So they are quick to go, my gosh, uh, you know, I was talking with our advisors at Deloitte, we're going to create a chief customer officer role. Mm. And then three months later, oh, we need a chief digital officer. And then oh, shit, I've got too many direct reports. We should consolidate all of these. And, you know, in the game of cheers, the CMO being the first in is the first out. And, uh, you know, um, and, and and suddenly you see more and more chief customer officers running marketing. Yeah, or um, in the case of Pepsi, I think they introduced the chief growth officer, yeah, which that, was... Yeah, I mean, the, the larger the company, the more ridiculous they are <laughs> about what they do with marketing. And normally the more inept, right, because most of these brands... These are particularly very large brands that are wedded to very old world media models. Um, they're the ones losing the most market share. Yep. So and under the most margin and, and you know if you if you look at the top CPG brands in the world, the majority lost share, lost profit, um, and and saw declines in their distribution footprints, which is their most precious asset. I would argue, other than the brand. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're not doing very well. So the, the industry is quite strange in that we. We listen to a lot of CMOs who are actually managing ever-shrinking product and revenue portfolios and celebrate their the opinions of these people. Like, the job they're doing is not actually particularly awesome. Well, well I think there's a, one of the problems is, you know, and people talk about social media creating echo chambers. I think oh, the industry... Absolutely has fallen into its own echo chamber. Absolutely. We've got uh, trade media organising events every other day oh my gosh, yeah. where they just yeah. wheel out a whole lot of people. And, and, and it's largely pay to play. And look, I never, when I got to Australia, I never said, oh, I'm going to build my brand as a CMO. I, I never did one of these hokey sort of, you know, should you become a thought leader on marketing or something. I never, that never occurred to me. But what, it did, what I was intent on doing was... I found the conversation around marketing in Australia to be actually really dull and boring. And I think people like yourself, and whether I agree with them or not, right, um, are Byron Sharp and the like, 
um, I'm, I'm grateful that they are at least lighting up the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, because if I have to suffer through another episode of the Gruen Transfer, I'm just going to kill myself. You know, like it's just stupid. It's nothing to do with marketing. Well, I think I think it's a uh, a diluted, you know, popularist view of advertising. Yeah, I'll which they then lay the term marketing across. Precisely. Here. Yeah, precisely. But one of the things is that the industry doesn't seem to be particularly good at uh, having conflicting points of view or opposite points of view. I just find that there's so you know they can't embrace complexity. They either, you know, advertising's dead, uh, digital's dead, TV's dead. You know, it's these extremes, but not actually a intelligent, thought, yeah, informed conversation thought, around... Um, about the only time I ran into that in the past year, the only time was um, Adam from Tinkerbell hosted a really good panel at Mumbrella, which he invited me and a few others on, and we sort of debated the... You know, Aaron Bass school of thought, mm. and, and was it good or bad for marketing? And I took the view that it was good, and others took the view it was bad. I think I took actually, I can't remember whether I was bad or ambivalent now, but anyway, um, and that was a good, it was a good, healthy debate. But mm. I do think that the malaise that marketing suffers from today is marketers simply don't take the profession seriously because the businesses they work for don't take it seriously. Yeah. And so my standard little acid test when I go, and I, I speak to large marketing teams every week. I was off doing a keynote yesterday to a very big financial brand here. And I do the same thing. I stand up in front of the room and I go, okay, uh, for a second here, I want I want you to, uh, everybody stand up. Now everybody, um, everybody that doesn't have a professional marketing qualification, like a professional marketing qualification, sit down. Mm. inevitably two-thirds of the room sits down mm. at that point. And then I say, now sit down if you didn't attend a really professional... I'm not talking like Google webcamp. I'm talking about you went to University of New South Wales and did a marketing strategy, yeah. you know, eat week course thing, or you, or you actually read one of Byron Sharp's books cover to cover and took lots of notes and tried to summarize it for your peers or you instigated a research project around the outside. Now, sit down if you did that. So they sit down. And, and, and then inevitably what you're left with is about five people of 100 people. Mm. Now, and when I say that, now I want you to think for a moment that I'm the CFO. And I've just asked those same questions but related to finance. Because I can promise you, everyone that's sitting down, you're no longer working in finance. There's no way you could work in finance if you didn't have professional certifications, qualifications. So I'm not making the case necessarily that we have to certify everybody, but man, it's time we took the profession, I think, a whole lot more seriously. Well, that's that's the first point. It's not a profession. It's not actually recognised anywhere as a profession yeah. yet. And no one, you'd think that, you know, modern marketing's been around since post-Second World War. Yeah. And yet no one anywhere in the world has managed to actually get it certified as a recognized profession, like accounting. Yep. Bean counters, they're a, a recognized profession. Lawyers are a recognized profession. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it suffers from this sort of delusion of the new as a result. So I, I think when I look at the work Byron does, I look at the work a lot of the academics in the US are doing, even getting your hands on academic-level marketing journals in Australia 
good luck. Yeah. Right? I mean, you go into the average CMO's office and there's no evidence that they're actually studying modern marketing, that they're, you know, but we will, we're all quick, quick to jump on the, on the Airbus and head to Silicon Valley and hang out for a week with Google and drink the Google juice or the YouTube juice or the Twitter juice or whatever juice is flowing. But then if I said to you, actually, we're going to go to LA and sit in, uh, in the middle of the uh, USC campus and learn about modern marketing strategies and segmentation techniques and, you know, middle class um, uh, evolution and economics, it's like, I'd rather die. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to BuzzFeed instead, you know. Yeah, well, it's sexier and more interesting. And you know. and I think the other problem is that um, people are learning from reading things like, you know, web pages from the trade press and opinion pieces. I mean, uh, Mark uh, Ritson got yeah, stuck yeah. into Gary V for a video he put up where he basically gave this advice to a father which is his daughter shouldn't waste his money going and doing a marketing course. She should just get out there and do marketing because that's the best way of learning. Yeah. So, look, Mark, Mark's another interesting guy, right? And in many ways, I, I love that Mark and, 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 and Byron and the gang are doing what they're doing because, gosh, we need more people who, who have a, a, an informed point of view, right? Mm. Who have an opinion based on science, fact, information, even if you disagree with it, you've got to have an alternate. So I think that's fantastic. Um, I think I think I get really, I, you know, on the one hand, the flattening of information is, is, is a nightmare because everyone thinks they know everything. Mm. Um, and you end up with everyone's got a soapbox from Gary V to whoever. But then at the other end of the spectrum, what, what blows my mind is how markers, marketers don't take advantage of the richness of all that information. Mm. So they don't, I, I, the number of marketers say, hey, do you ever watch uh, Scott Galloway, uh, his stuff on the L2 uh, YouTube feed? It is a must watch every week. You must mm. watch it, right? There's some of the best thinking on modern brand building, on consumer trends, on digital, on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, I mean, you're nuts if you don't watch it. Yeah. And, and, and yet marketers don't watch it. I'm like, whoa. Well, you know, I, I think part of it is that because a lot of them don't have any sort of formal, you know, training or formal oh. academic training, um, that yeah. what what often happens, and I've had these conversations yeah. with marketers, they they're looking for a solution, they're not looking for information, and what's being offered is there's lots of information uh, and I lots think, of I of think, uh, examples. I think know? it's one of the one of the best pieces of career advice I got. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And I, I can't actually remember the person that... I remember where I got the advice. I was at the GE campus um, um, and I, the speaker was talking. He said, look, one of the most important things you can do is establish a course of study for your life. Mm -hmm. So if you said, this year, I intend to learn everything I can about um, philosophical, Socratic literature and ways. So I'm going to read Plato. I'm going to read Socrates. I'm going to read, you know... Etc. That's what I'm going to do this year. Go and do it, but don't read every newspaper and every magazine. Don't read every random book. Instead, determine courses of study. And I think that's been a really, it's really shaped my life a lot. And I think that if CMOs could get their head around perhaps saying, "Hey, as the intellectual thought leader for marketing in my respective organisation, I am going to set us on a course of study." on a three-month cycle, on a six-month cycle, whatever it might be, where I impart really valuable science, data-driven information into my organ, elevate 
the marketing aptitude and competency, you, you suddenly are a different person in the mm. org, right? Yeah. And, and well, you're more you're more informed. You're more rounded. You 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 yeah. practice uh, critical thinking. You start yeah, to learn right. very basic or, or, or established uh, philosophies and approaches to life and and to making decisions, uh, evaluating arguments. These are all important skills that are often not taught anymore in in school. Yeah. Just in basic education. But it's interesting that you should pick that because my f- uh, the best piece of career advice I had, apart from make the CFO at the agency your best friend, which you know, I've always always lived by, was no one knows anything, but everyone has something to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and that listen to all of the divergent points of view, think it through, and then test what seems to be most applicable to you. Yeah. And if it works, keep doing more of it. And if it doesn't work, do something different. Yeah, exactly. I don't see that happening because, you know, you um, picked Byron Sharp. I think Byron Sharp's uh, what make, uh, what makes brands grow. Yeah, that's yeah? it. Yeah. Um, is really applicable for consumer packaged goods because most of the examples he uses are consumer packaged goods. Exactly. But if you put me into a technology area or a financial services or somewhere, is it still applicable? Well, and, and certainly it's applicable if you are a large multinational brand with incredibly deep pockets and you are spread through traditional distribution channels. Yeah. If your four pillars gin, mm. maybe not so applicable because you're distributing actually through much newer means. You yeah. know, you're, you're targeting via email, you're building large community groups, yeah. you're building the world's number one gin company. It's a different level and different. So so it's it's great for what I call incumbent brands. Yeah. It's a far less great if you're the challenger brand where you have to do things yeah. radically differently. So, and what we see increasingly is a lot of these challenger brands are not being built using traditional means. They're built by using completely new means of building brands. And so the modalities, um, one of the biggest challenges I think uh, that marketing faces that is distinct from, say, the accounting profession is the way we do accounting fundamentally has not changed for 100 plus years. We, we, you know, there is a left column, a right column, hopefully the two reconcile, you're off to the, you know, you go to the gym. So it's great. But now marketing has so many different philosophies that relate to the nature of business, to products, whether you're B2B, B2C. Um, we've seen massive revolutions occurring in the distribution channels. Yep. And I do I do think marketing as a function is the first to feel the impact of market shifts. Yeah. And and, and um, it, it, you, we, we are the canaries in the coal mine, but very rarely listened to. And I think and so, I think that that's a that's a real challenge for the modern marketer and the modern CMO. It's a good point because you know a lot of businesses put all their focus on listening to the sales team because they actually think that the sales team is at the coalface. But in actual fact, the sales team has a very particular relationship. Yep. Yeah. The marketer is about building the, the relationships and the positioning of the organisation with those customers and is doing it in a way of constantly monitoring not just those micro relationships, but also the macro changes that are happening as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the so, other so you look, And you look at these modern brands that are being built. So let's look at the four fastest the four there are only four brands in the world today above a billion dollars of revenue growing at more than 50 percent what are they okay airbnb yep. uh, uber um 
what I'm going to forget. Oh, uh, Alibaba. Yep. And Indeed.com, largest job oh, yeah. board in the world. Okay. Have you spoken to any of their salespeople lately? No. Yeah. They, don't, yeah. Yeah. they don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. So these modern brands are being built in radically new ways where they own their distribution, mm. where they're, they're completely shifting the economics of industries. And you go and talk to their CMOs, right? And they are real radical modern brand builders, right? They are, they are in a different world than the incumbent CMO at Macca's or CMO at KFC, which are really great marketers too, mm. right? But two different modalities. And if, yeah. and, and, and if they were a finance function, you wouldn't still call one of them marketing because you would just be like, no, that's not marketing anymore. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and you'd also see this because you have a very global perspective. You know, yeah. you're, you're doing business in, yeah, yeah. in the States and Asia. You know, um, and and really strikes me is that when you move, even for the same brand and the same organisation, but you move regions or even markets, oh. totally different um, circumstances as far as uh, brand maturity, distribution models. You know, Indonesia, if you're not doing uh, mobile first, you really lost because it is the dominant yeah, communications it, it, channel it, it in Indonesia. And, and, and it is how media is now consumed. Mm. Media is predominantly consumed there. Um, and so what you're, what you're alluding to, I would argue, is probably the most fundamental challenge the modern CMO faces, which is how do I drive change? Yeah. And you've got this inherent dilemma in the marketing function where around, um, you know, up to 50% of your budget's locked in headcount and retained fees and costs. So your cost base is actually highly rigid and stratified. Yeah. The other 50% is largely habitual. Mm. Like you're doing largely what you did last year. And in many cases, you've signed three to five year, multi-year deals. And so you're locked up in big sponsorship agreements, big TV buys, big whatevers. Mm. And so you look at it and then you go, how do I change? How do I turn right? Even though I know I need to turn right when I'd have to get rid of most of my people, I'd have to break a whole lot of agreements. I'd have to really, I'd have to cause such tectonic upheaval, it would probably kill me, mm. or I'd be killed in the process for not towing the line. And so, the the challenge that modern CMO faces in in most organisations, I see there is no value of trust and there's no value of transparency. So they don't just say, "Look, you got to turn right, turn right." If yeah. you have to get rid of half your people to do it, do it. Mm. No, that's not going to happen, right? Yeah. You um, don't get that support or that uh, you know, um, permission. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and most organisations are rife with political complexity mm. and dynamics that aren't healthy for the marketer anyway. So most marketers in... So if you look at the logic and you go, never has there been a greater premium on the ability of someone to change. Mm. Never, Right. Why is Meyer in such deep trouble? Why is David Jones going to be in even more trouble than it's in? Why is JB Hi-Fi and Dimmick's not going to exist in three years? Yeah. Because they failed to change. Yeah. Even, even in, I mean, Toys R Us went out of business this week. Chapter yep. 11, bankruptcy. Okay. This time last year, I'm going to get the quote a little bit wrong, but it's largely right. The, the CEO said, and I quote almost specifically, Amazon is not a threat. <laughs> They are not an issue for us. We can be successful with or without them. Well, I, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm just like, at what point do marketers go, no, 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 no. Actually, we're in deep trouble. We need to change dramatically. 
And I think you're right. You said before, you know, the marketers are the, the bellwether. They often see these changes oh. because, you know, Bernie Brooks, when he retired from uh, Maya, I went to a, uh, it was like a farewell from the industry and, and he stood up and he said, oh, there are many things that I wanted to change. I just wasn't allowed to. You know, so he was even as CEO of Maya, when marketing had identified the problems and he'd identified the problems, he said then the board and the shareholders wouldn't invest in change. It's almost like uh, people, you know, being on the Titanic, yeah, there's the iceberg, but let's just hold on and hope that we're going to survive this, seems to be the... Uh, Absolutely. And I, so I think I, 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 what, it all, what it all comes down to, if you... If you take the sort of Gordian knot of marketing complexity, what it comes down to for me is if you're a good marketer, forget whether you're a CMO or not. If you if you look in the mirror and go, you know what, I'm a pretty good marketer, mm. right? Own your career or someone else will. Like make hard choices to go and do everything in your power to work for world-class brands that get this stuff, that do embrace change, that do know how to pivot, that are investing in marketing. Because the re- these companies that don't do that, they don't deserve you. I mean, Maya doesn't deserve good marketers. Mm. It simply doesn't. You know? do, you th- do you think also that's why the, mar- the CMOs that have built the reputations for making changes and, and delivering benefits to the business are the ones that seem to be the change agents who last the two or three years or, and then have to move? Because there's also this whole mentality that seems to be if you come in and make those major changes, stand true to your beliefs and your strategy, uh, at some point the organisation's going to go, well, thanks for making the change, now go away and we'll get someone Yeah, I mean, organisations have classically suffered from quite a high degree of CMO indigestion, mm. right? They, 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 they love eating the new CMO but then can't digest what comes with the feast. And mm. so... That's been an age-old problem. That's a good quote. I think. I think um, the other problem, frankly, we we do a lot of work with CMOs, and we go and we look at their strategy. So we audit their strategy for them. So we don't go down to sort of the Trinity P three, like let's look at your supplies and things. But yeah. we're looking at the high-level alignment. And the thing that's most disturbing to me is that I would say more than seventy percent of the time there is a lack of alignment in the CMO strategy and the actual strategy beat that the business is running to. So you'll end up with the business saying, we want to grow it, da 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 and the CMO's like, actually said yes to that while reducing spend. Yeah. And I'm like, the economic model you have suggests there is no way you can achieve that growth without the spend. I know, but you know, and they cut my budget, and I said, well, you should have told them that the business strategy is risk. Should have written to the board and said, dear board, I know Bill's telling you we're going to smoke the numbers. We're not. It is simply economic improbability, mm. right? It's statistical variance is too great at this point. And so I find that the other problem a lot of CMOs are running into is this ability to map the marketing model to the business model effectively mm. and go, it doesn't have to be a precision-guided line to predict the outcome, but you should be able to see the pattern clearly and go, look, a dollar in here equals this many out here. So you reduce the dollar here. You, 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 There's you, the impact you, of the, to the know, top line. Yeah, I'm not a vending machine, right? It's yeah. not that binary, but what, but there is a correlation here. And so investing in the model, and I, I remember I was on the advisory board of uh, MarketShare, who was a very, very big, they're probably the world's most advanced attribution company that was sold to Newstar a year or so ago. 
and um, the number of marketers who are who had come in said we're looking at we're looking at market share, but oh man, it costs a lot. And I'd be like, how much? How what's the quote they've given you? Oh, you know, like two and a half million dollars. And I'd be like. Yeah, but you spend two hundred million dollars a year on media. So <laughs> if they save you ten percent, yeah, you're way it's in like front. free money. It's yeah. like yeah, 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 you know. So I think it's just it's really hard for CMOs to change when their inherent models rigid. So building flexibility yeah. into your model and then aligning more tightly with business models and really owning your career, you can you can do amazing things as a CMO, but boy, you've got to have a strong stomach to be a CMO these days. And you know, and it's largely seems to be uh, thankless because we see so many CMOs that make these changes and before it even gets a chance to pay off, they're on this uh, merry-go-round of moving. How many times have we seen CMOs just moving from one organisation to the well, next? I think, I think a lot of CMOs are quite tightly coupled in the executive suite to the CEO and so I, I'm quite open with people. I loved my career at Combank. I had a great time. I got to do amazing things. And if Ross McEwen had stayed and David Lindbergh had stayed, I, I would have loved to have stayed much longer because I just loved working with them. But yeah. you see so many CMOs change their roles when uh, when the CEO, that they're the counterpart to, changes. So one of my arguments is I coach CMOs on their careers. As I mm. said, you know, do attach your trailer to a great CEO truck yeah. where you build that long-term partnership and relationship. I think, you know, I look at the CMO at, uh, at Qantas. She's done a great job in aligning with Alan and yeah. they're a great partnership and a great team, right? And they, they, they succeed together. And I have huge respect and admiration for that because I think, I think more CMOs, you know, if they could build that tighter bond into the C-suite and align with the CEO, that would give them a lot more career velocity over time. I believe that's what I've seen happen statistically when I look at those CMOs with the longest tenure. I, I, probably the best example in the world is Beth Comstock at GE, who went from being mm. head of comms to CMO to now chairperson yeah. of, of GE, the largest industrial conglomerate, conglomerate on earth, because she was so closely aligned with Jack Welch and then yeah. with Jeff. Uh, and so I have hu- there, there are some really interesting playbooks for CMOs to go look at and go, okay, if I love this place and I want to be here, what are the tactics and strategies I might deploy? Yeah. So it's not about how successful you are as a CMO, but rather how successful can you make the CEO? And, and as you say, you know, build that, uh, that connection because the two together is quite a powerful combination. Well, and, and, and conversely, where you're sitting there and you look at yourself in the mirror and go, you know, my relationship with the CEO it sucks. Like when we 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 are like oil and water. We do not gel. This is not a you know a romance made in heaven. Chances of it working is very low at that point. Mm. So you've got to be honest with yourself as well, and sort of see your own canary in the coal mine squawking. Um, <laughs> the writing on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there for all to see, right? And um, so it's an it's a really interesting. Really interesting dynamic. So you were at Dell uh, during your career. I was at Dell twice. Yeah, I was at Dell in the very early days of Dell as a head of comms, a VP of comms, and then chief communications officer. And then I went back to Dell um, as the head of uh, uh, Dell.com, which was the largest e-commerce site in the world at the time. We were about a $20 billion business. And uh, went back in to run that and was um, CMO of the large enterprise group at Dell, head of comms at Dell, and then had various CMO roles there. Yeah, so I was there for, in total, a long time. Because it has a reputation for being a very 
performance data driven completely, completely and, and, and yeah. business model, isn't it? Yeah, it, everything starts with numbers at the expense of creativity. So it's never been. I would never. Uh, I would never, never regard Dell as a great, you know, creative brand builder. It's a great scientific brand builder. Mm. It knew precisely which page of the newspaper to be on on which day of the week if you wanted to reach that audience with that message. They could precisely tell you that. Um, and so, which you, is direct marketing, isn't it? In its yeah, most yeah, pure yeah, form, yeah, it's super scale direct marketing, yeah. which then became web marketing, which then became you know the list goes on. And so it was it was it was staggering to be part of that machine and the the emphasis on attribution. I mean, attribution. You started with attribution. Mm. You didn't end with attribution. Because yeah. I, I feel that you know, as as a basis of of uh, understanding marketing, that really gets you into that combination of marketing sales driving um, company uh, performance and profit, um, the addition of creativity and, and you know, the strategy beyond that. Well, yeah. On, and, and on, on the emotional uh, brand well, building. Well, yeah, and on top of that, probably the most ruthless execution machine on earth. Mm. Like ruthless. Like now probably Amazon's that machine, but yeah. Dell, Dell, and Dell still is, but ruthless in the supply chain efficiency within marketing ruthless like yeah. you know when we consolidated all the agencies to WPP which I was one of the leaders on that project uh, was about a billion dollars of spend but we took a billion out and we <laughs> you know we moved all creative production to Bangalore yeah. and Bangladesh into and built new studios so we could do low-cost production overnight mm. and um, it, it was like the, the ruthlessness and like if you were a vendor you couldn't bring donuts or muffins into a meeting right like that was like out of the question forbidden you you cannot charge us for that stuff we don't mm. want you spending our money on that stuff you know it was ruthless right and so to the point you know if someone if someone turned up at a, at a meeting with with Michael or any of the executive team with a Mac, they'd send them up the road to the Best Buy to buy a Dell. We weren't going to watch the presentation on a Mac, you know. <laughs> and many many a creative fell for that one. But you know, it was it was the most driven environment from a cost, from an investment, from science. There's no there's no I, I, I say to young market, I get a lot of calls from young marketers saying, you know, you know, watch your talk, can you give me some advice, I'm thinking about this and this, I say, hey, look, pick, pick the most data-driven place to go yeah. first, because if you can learn the science and the how the engine of business relates to marketing, that's a huge gift that so, will pay back. It's interesting, isn't it, because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, it was go to P&G, go to Unilever, yeah, 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 go yeah. to all the you know, consumer packaged goods companies, because that's where you'll learn marketing, son or daughter, yeah, you know, yeah. that's where you're going to get the basics, whereas... I think now it's it is as you say. Where do you where do you get experience in actually understanding data informed strategy, and then more importantly performance measure? Because without the two, you know, a lot of people uh, we see are running off and uh, investing in uh, technology platforms to become data informed yeah, and yeah. better understand that. Yeah, yeah. But they're lo- missing out on the second and most important part is measurement to feed back into the data in the first place. Right on. Yeah. Right on, yeah, very, very much so. And it's, um, you know, the the thing that is so radically different about these high growth companies, whether it's a Dell or an Amazon or whoever, is the relationship. But there is no line between marketing and revenue. Mm. They, 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 you know, 
there, there's no sort of like, oh, yeah, but we built the brand and our vi- brand vibrancy's up and, you know, our, 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 our awareness has done this and our consideration's done this. It's like, yeah. I don't care. Revenue is flat. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 and so there's this relationship between marketing and revenue being so polarized in so many brands I go into, it just does my head and I just, I just don't understand it because mm. I've, I've come from a world where anything less than double digit growth and complete alignment between a dollar into marketing equals an improvement in revenue outcome. Not meeting revenue outcome, but steadily improving revenue yeah. outcome. And a philosophical view that the job of marketing is to eliminate sales. Yeah. Right. Like, like that was a commonly held belief at Dell was that marketing causes us to grow at an exponential rate to that which we would need to add a salesperson. Yeah. That's why you're here. Otherwise, we should just hire more salespeople. It's, it's interesting you say that because one of the questions that I've asked quite a few marketers over the 15, 16 years I've been doing this is what the company's IRR. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting how many marketers don't know about internal rate of return. Yeah, uh, and because they're not even, as you say, aligned to revenue. You know, marketing yeah. exists on a budget, which makes it basically a cost of business. When in actual fact, if they're aligned to driving revenue or revenue performance, then they would be uh, worried about things like, well, what is the rate of internal rate of return? What is the cost of money for the organisation? Exactly. So that every cent, every dollar I, I spend is actually outperforming what the cost of money would be for the CFO. Well, that's right. And you look at the problem so many retailers, for instance, have run into uh, in the US and elsewhere confronting Amazon. And I was sitting with a bunch of CMOs in the US several months ago now, but... And from big retailers, and they were lamenting how hard it is, and you know, yada yada. And I said, "Well, you know, your problem's not your brand. Your problem's not actually sales. Your problem's capital intensity. Mm. Your problem is your stock price is falling through the floor. You've become an uninvestable asset. So your ability to attract capital in, mm. which you, drives you, up your uh, you can't cost of money. You, you can't. <laughs> your co- uh, Amazon has infinite access to cash at yeah. zero cost." You have no access to cash, at, 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 and if you wanted it to be an extraordinary cost, yeah, you, you, you can't win. You, there's nothing you can do other yeah. than you. You have to be willing to make absolutely radical moves. And I think the best marketers that I see making those radical moves are those that are able to really get into product, like really do well with products. So you've seen what Kmart's done with some of its new category mm. killer product stuff. It's right on the money because you can't you can't win unless you have something that others don't. Yeah. And and saying, hey, look, we we have this great new Swedish range of interior design things. You're going to love them at Kmart prices. I actually want those. I'll go there and get those. Or I've got this vacuum cleaner that sucks like a Dyson but doesn't suck money out of your wallet like a Dyson. You should get one of those. Or okay, I need a new vacuum. I'm going to go to Kmart, right? Um, and that's marketing for me, doing clever stuff because you're actually attracting new traffic, new footfall with differentiation at great price points, you're fulfilling your brand promise and they do well as a result. And and, and I, I was saying to a marketer the other day, I said, I can't tell you why I'd go to Target. Mm. What would I go to Target for? I haven't got anything I want. Yeah. Um, and and it really is applying marketing in every aspect of yeah. marketing. It's not just about promotions, you know, they're looking at pricing, product innovation, all of the areas 
that were traditionally part of marketing. Well, that's right. And you look at it, and I said, I was speaking to the, the heads of one of the big agency groups here the other day, and I said, look, if you look at the problem with an agency today, agencies were built on a three-legged stool, okay? Yeah. Leg number one was amazing, artisanal, or otherwise creative. Leg number two was media and supply chain integration. You had a way of stitching everyone together from world-class videographers to world-class media footprint and footfall traffic and everything like that. And so you own that. You lost that completely, mm. right? That's gone. That's programmatic now. That's owned by little media shops and strategists. I'm building my own teams to do it. You no longer provide any value there. And then the other thing I went to you for was amazing customer insight. Mm. And you're the last people I'd go to for amazing customer insight. So you have a one-legged stool that's not particularly comfortable to sit on anymore. <laughs> so you either need to create an entirely new stool yeah. with new legs, or you need to reclaim your legs. Now, conversely, what's happened that's, that's amplified your problem is marketing had its five-legged stool built on the five Ps of marketing. Yeah. And we lost every leg except one, promotion. Yeah. We're the people you go to to promote stuff. We don't know, typically own pricing. We don't own placement. We don't own distribution. Sales owns that. We, you know, we don't own product. No. You know? So it's promotion. The colouring in department, as uh, I went to a, um, a CEO forum, and that's what marketing was referred to, the colouring in department. Yeah. And look, I have, I have um, for those of you that have kids listening to this podcast, you should steer them or you should put your earbuds in. But I, I have a really strong view on that. Like, I, I become borderline hyper-offensive with CEOs. Good say that. I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. What are you? The fucking silk tie and suck-up department to your board. Like, no, these marketing people work bloody hard. Well, and, and, you've, and, you've, <coughs> and you've depowered your marketing team yeah. by putting salespeople that know nothing about pricing or finance people that know nothing about marketing in charge of your pricing. You've lost total control of your distribution channels, right? Um, you, you have no, you, you should give that back to you. You should empower your marketers. Stop referring to them that way. I go ballistic because I just think it's like, um, it, 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 it's like this, this, this cheeky sign of disrespect. It's kind of cute. They actually believe that. No, they do they believe it. They actually believe guy- it. This you guy know. had just finished saying that sales was his most important revenue driver, and yet, no matter how many salespeople, he was losing market share. Yeah, of course. And, and someone suggested that perhaps it was a bigger issue than sales, that it could be a marketing issue. And he, that's when he said, in context, marketing's just the colouring in department. Yeah, and then, So and he completely goes, misses and, the power of and, marketing. And where does the person go, you actually should be fired as the CEO because you're incompetent. You mm. actually know nothing about marketing. You know nothing about modern organisational development. You know nothing about how to create value in markets. Right? And that, that is a real problem. I, I go, I sit on a, lot, a, a number of large boards. One of the boards I sit on is Mercury Energy, which is one of the largest power companies in New Zealand. They're kind of the origin or the whatever of Australia, yeah. but in New Zealand and all, just about all renewable energy. Amazing, wow. amazing company to be working on. But I remember sitting there a year ago as a board member. And this is, an, you know, an NZS, NZSX 10, ASX 100 board. Yeah. And sitting with the CEO, Fraser, and, and, and we as a board have said, look, we really want to challenge you on the brand strategy. And we really want to challenge you on the positioning of the brand. And we want to challenge you on the relevance of brand. And man, he took it all in. He went, 
And this is, so A, I give huge credit to the chair of the board who had the courage to put a marketer on the board to drive Mm -hmm. that conversation. And then huge kudos to the CEO for listening to the board. But as a result, they're winning every marketing award in New Zealand. Yeah. They have done unimaginably cool things to rebuild their brand. And And, 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 getting the benefit of that in the And it's a great example of a CEO. Stocks at an all-time high. Shareholders are loving it. Customers are loving it. Customer churns down dramatically. I mean, it's a great example of the kind of alignment that I think marketers have to look for, Mm. right? And that is a category which is low consideration and low customer involvement. So, yeah, of all areas, to achieve those sorts of results has to come from marketing, first of all. Yeah. And as you say, driven and owned by the board and the CEO. And I I think great marketers need to work much harder at engaging with boards and getting into the boardroom Mm. and and finding ways to nestle. I I, I was sitting with a CMO the other day where I said, you know, she said, oh, well, I'm really having trouble engaging with the board. And I said, well, look, I'm assuming you do all these stupid big company events that big companies do. You have these supplier dinners and the fundraising for the whatever, and then you have this, oh, yeah, we do like 20 of those a year. Like every month there's something going on. Great. And I bet your board members attend those. Oh, yeah, our chair's there always. There's always a few board. I said, okay, do you make a point of sitting next to them? Do you make a point of going and introduce? No, I don't really. No, I know. And I'm like, you've got to do that. You've got to do that. You've got to network like a maven, right? You've got to be a connector. You've got to go over and... You know, point out what you're doing and point to the work and make sure the board sees you're creative and make sure you see the messaging and you talk about segmentation and you lead with data. And so I, just, I, I think there's just that's uh, great advice because you know, you see so many marketers that are externally focused and they forget that an important stakeholder group actually exists within the organization they work for. Yeah. Completely. They have to sell marketing completely to the, the management team and the board. Oh, yeah. It's probably the biggest sales effort you ever have to do. Mm. So, yeah, the, the opportunity's there, but I just hope more marketers go, yeah, we, this is an amazing career. This is an amazing mm. job and function. It's so vital. And uh, I was with a recruiter here the other day. I was on the hunt for a CMO and was asking me to point people their way, which I'm always happy to do for them, but... And he said, no, who do you rate in marketing? And I said, oh, there's so many people I rate in marketing, but there, there's so many good people now at that sort of middle marketing mm. level. And I, so I get really optimistic as they start to come up through the ranks, we'll see all kinds of amazing stuff happening because there are some, there's some great marketing talent out there. Yeah, in the industry. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Mm. It really is. Look, uh, we've run out of time, but great to catch up and yeah, great Yeah, likewise, to chat. thanks for the opportunity. Keep, keep blogging. And I've got uh, one last question. Yeah. What's your, uh, out of all the jobs you've had in your career, what was your favourite?